0: Well, good morning. How is everybody? Yeah, you guys seem fired up. It's good to be here and live with you. If you are joining us in Blend or Amped, if you're out in Roan County, Bearden, it is great to be with you this morning. We are continuing our series in the book of Mark. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, we'll be in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 12 is actually where we're going to be, where we're learning what it means to be fluent in the good news Gospel simply means good news. And so how, as followers of Jesus, do we become more fluent? And when we've talked about fluency, we know we're fluent in something when it just naturally comes out of us. When it's a language, if it naturally comes out of us, we become fluent in it. If it's a skill, whatever it is, fluency comes when it's just natural for us. But the truth is, we're not fluent in many things from the start, are we? We have to practice being fluent in anything. I mean think about like you didn't come out of the womb knowing how to walk. Have you ever seen a little kid learning how to walk? They fall all the time and if they're anything like my son, he led with his head wherever he went. And so he would just, he had a big head and he would fall and it, like he had to become, learn how to be fluent in walking. The same is true with the gospel. We have to learn how to be fluent with the good news and there are things in the gospel that I wish were just more natural. I wish it was more natural of when God, as we're gonna see today, gives us the great commandment, love me and love other people, I wish that was natural for me. I wish it was normal for me just to be fluent and God, I just love you and and it's natural for me. But the truth is, it's clunky. And a lot of times we have to begin by asking questions and, and cognitively processing, how do I do this? That's what we're gonna be looking at as we jump into the book of Mark. Just a reminder, Jesus's message. When Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That is his central message. What's the gospel message according to Jesus? Jesus's gospel message is, I have come and the kingdom of God is now here. The kingdom of God is now here and I'm giving you access into the kingdom. Now, if we talk about the kingdom of God, even the word God, and we're, we're backing up just a little bit, even the word God kind of, we, we get pictures in our head. When I say the word God, we all kind of get pictures and thoughts in our head of what we think or imagine God to be. And so we talk about the kingdom of God, well, it's God's kingdom, so we need to know about who God is in order to know what his kingdom's about. So when I say God, sometimes people get the image of God in their head that he's like that old man in the rocking chair on the front porch of heaven in the clouds, you know, and he's just sitting there rocking, just uninterested in what's happening in the world down below. He's like, yep, created it and it's doing its thing and that's good. And maybe that's an image of God that you might have in your head. Or maybe your image of God is like the opposite of that. Maybe your image of God is like the Zeus God, the angry God, who's just up in heaven, just like zeroed in, looking directly, and we always think most of ourselves, so he's looking directly at you, just waiting for you to mess up, and he just wants to get you in trouble. He can't wait for that. You see, The problem is, if we don't have an accurate view of who God is, we'll never have an accurate view of his kingdom. If we don't have an accurate view of who God is, we won't have an accurate view of his kingdom, and the truth is, is that scripture tells us that God is love, God is love, and if that's not a fundamental understanding of who we see God to be, that God is absolutely, lavishly loving his creation, then we as his kingdom followers will never know how to live in his kingdom. But when we begin to see that God is love, and as part of his kingdom, then the good news is is that we will live out love, why? Because if God is love, we're part of his kingdom, we as his followers will live out love in his kingdom. You see, our picture of God will directly impact how we live. Our picture and view of God will directly impact how we live. And if our view of God is not anchored in the truth of God's love for us, then we'll never know how to live out the good news of love. Our life in the kingdom of God is anchored in God's love. That is our anchor. Uh, Earlier this summer, my family and I, we went on a vacation to San Diego. We still have friend, uh, friends, friends and family in San Diego, and so uh, we flew out to San Diego, and the plan was uh, for my wife and I, my oldest daughter, who's gonna be a senior this year, uh, we would stay for about a week out there together, and then my two younger kids would actually fly out back to Knoxville with grandma and grandpa, and they were gonna stay an extra nine days. So. My wife and I my oldest daughter, we drove back 2,200 miles. If you want some fun, drive across the country 2,200 miles. That's fun. And uh, so we did that, we drove back. And a couple weeks ago, my two younger kids were still in San Diego. My oldest daughter, she was with some friends and she went to Dollywood and it was a Friday, my day off. And so my wife looks at me and she goes, we have no kids and we have a day. What do you wanna do? We grew up boating people. And so my parents always said that, David, you're gonna own a boat before you ever own a car. That wasn't quite true, but when we moved to Knoxville, I owned a boat before I bought a house. Um, So we didn't have a place to live, but we were on the lake, so we had a good time. So my wife's like, let's take the boat out. And I said, yes, that is a fantastic idea. And so we went out, and can I tell you something? It was awesome. It was so great, because you know what we did? Whatever we wanted. And so we went out, and so I was like, I wanna surf, and so what did I, she pulls me surfing, I'm surfing, and I went as long as I wanted, I felt, and then I got tired, and I get in the boat, she's like, well, I wanna surf now, I'm like, yes, let's go, so we surf. After that, you know what we did, we went into a little cove on the lake, and I took the anchor for the boat, and I chucked it over, and we sat, and you know what we did for about two hours after that? Floated in the water. If you have stress in your life, and you want stress to be relieved from your life, go float in a lake. It's incredible. Although there was one mistake we made, okay? We, we, put, we anchored in a cove that wasn't out on teleco, that wasn't exactly like protected. And so big boats come by on the lake. And so these big boats would come by, and there all of a sudden, big boats put out big wakes. And so we're sitting there floating around just enjoying our time, and all of a sudden it was like we were in the ocean. And the boat, my boat's only a 22-foot boat, and it's sitting there going, it was rocking and rolling. I was having a great time floating in my float. And it was so fun. And you know what happened to the boat? Nothing. You wanna know why? because it was anchored, it was anchored. It was tethered to an anchor that was sitting on the bottom in the, deep in the mud, it was anchored, so when those waves came, nothing happened to the boat, the boat just stayed right in place. You see, God's love is what anchors us, it tethers us when the storms of life come, because the reality is storms of life do come, don't they? We don't always see them coming. Well, I don't know when a big boat's gonna pass by and throw waves at my boat. I don't know, but I gotta trust the anchor. And the truth is, in the Christian life, God's love is what anchors us, it tethers us, so when the stuff happens, it's not a matter of if stuff is gonna happen in your life, it's, it's really when. It's when stuff comes, when the crap of life takes place, And it begins to rock us. God's love is what anchors us. John writes about it in 1 John. He says this, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, love of God was made manifest among us If we do not realize the love that God has for us, we will never be able to be fluent in the good news. God's love is what anchors us in his kingdom. And what we're gonna see today is that as God loves us, that love will flow through us back to him and out to other people. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 12, and we're going to pick up in verse 28. Now, at this point in the story, we left off last week in chapter 10. At this point in the story, in Mark chapter 11, we have the triumphal entry. Mark is driving the point home that Jesus is in Jerusalem for a very specific purpose, He is there to give his life as a ransom. He is there to be coronated king. And his coronation is gonna come on a cross. And so Mark is, it's like the gear shifts in in Mark chapter 11. The triumphal entry happens and it's the last week of Jesus's life. And in Mark chapter 12, what we have is that these Sadducees begin, these religious leaders begin to try to trick Jesus. And so they come ask him a question that they don't even fully understand. They're asking him a question about, a resur- about resurrection when they don't even really believe in resurrection. And so they make up this story, this guy has seven wives and they die, 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 it's terrible, tragedy. And, and then they said, in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? And Jesus, you know what Jesus does? He he understands that they're trying to trick him, and he he goes back and quotes Exodus chapter three. He goes, hey, remember the burning bush story? And they would have remembered. Do you remember when God, through the burning bush, said, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob? He goes, what he was saying is, I'm the God of the living, not the God of the dead. You don't even know what you're talking about. And so then, in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, another scribe and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribes said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no one besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So we have this story, right? This scribe, it's almost like this scribe, this religious leader, is seeing Jesus engage with these other religious leaders. And it's like he's standing back watching and he hears the response that Jesus gives and he goes, all right, I'm gonna ask this guy a question. Now you gotta understand something about the culture in this day. These religious leaders loved to debate things of theology, loved to discuss things of God. And so this scribe comes up and he asks Jesus, a rabbi, and he says, what is the greatest commandment? That would not have been a shocking question. That would have been a question that these rabbis, that these religious leaders would have talked about. It would have been something that they debated. And so Jesus responds, He said, hear, O Israel, and he quotes what? The Shema. He goes, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with everything that you have, and the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. And I love the fact that this religious leader looks at Jesus and gives Jesus affirmation as if Jesus needed the affirmation. He's like, Jesus, you're actually right, and Jesus goes, yeah, I know I wrote it. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. And then the scribe quotes back, and he says, you're right in the fact that we're to love God with everything, and we're to love our neighbor as ourselves." And the scribe adds this, and he goes, that's better and more important than all of these burnt offerings. And Jesus looks at him and says, what? You're not far from the kingdom of God. I think there was like a double meaning in what Jesus is saying there. You're not far from the kingdom of God. You're really close to getting it. You're, you're, you are right there. You are understanding more than most people understand. But I also think there was a reality that Jesus himself bodily ushered in the kingdom of God to the earth when he came. And so Jesus, by his very presence, is ushering in the kingdom. And so I think there was a proximity thing and he's looking at this scribe going, you're not far from the kingdom of God, why? Because I'm right here. And so Jesus is talking to this guy and he tells them, and he gives him what we now know as the great commandment. Love God, love other people. Love God and other people. So what does this look like for us to be fluent in the good news of the kingdom? If we're to be fluent in the kingdom, it means that we will live out love by trusting Jesus in our actions. Jesus says, hear, O Israel. He quotes the Shema. If you remember back, if you're new with us, uh, we did a series, gosh, I can't even remember. It was a while ago now, uh, on the Shema, where we, we looked at, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, because what we saw in that series was when God says, hear, O Israel, hear means to do. It means to Actually, do something. It's not just like hear it and go, oh, that's a good idea. Here means to do. And so, what is Jesus doing here? He's tying action to love. What Jesus basically is saying, there was a DC Talk song many years ago. I used to listen to DC Talk. I got down with the DC Talk. And if anyone knows that, they know that reference. Um, DC Talk sang a song, Love is a Verb. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Love is a verb, and can I just tell you something? That flies directly in the face of what our world, the kingdom of this world, says love is. In our world, love is an emotion. Love is an emotion. I love you. And it's an emotion. And Jesus goes, no, wait, no, love is an action. Love is proven. I used to struggle with the phrase, when I was in probably junior high, high school, I really struggled with the phrase, and and hear me, this is going to sound unspiritual, I know. Um, I used to struggle with the phrase, I love God. Does anyone else, I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, does anyone else struggle with that phrase, I love God? Because the, the, the wrestle in my heart was, how do I love God when I can't even see him? How do I love him? How do I, demo, how do I show God that I love you? If, and I had this warm, fuzzy feeling and, about God, and I used to equate love with emotion because I didn't really understand. And so if I had warm, fuzzy feelings about God, then that means I must love him. But then when the feelings fade, it, it went, did it, do I not love God anymore? But then as I began to study and, and look at the scriptures, it became more and more clear that if we love God, we prove our love to God by believing him to the point of action, by being obedient to him. There's a story at the end of Mark chapter 10, you'll read it this week in the Live It Out section. There was a guy, his name was Bartimaeus, but that just gets to be a mouthful, so we're gonna call him Bart, okay? It was blind Bart. And blind Bart has been blind for a while, and Jesus is walking by blind Bart. And blind Bart knows that Jesus is there. And so blind Bart begins to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And there's followers of Jesus that are kind of Jesus's entourage. And blind Bart's over on the side. And they're telling blind Bart, shut up. Hey, he's not here for you. Leave him alone. And the blind Bart, that doesn't stop him. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stops. And he says, hey, bring that guy to me. Uh, This is like the ironic part of scripture at times. I think the entourage had to look at him and go, hey, actually, it's your lucky day, come on over here. And and Bart's like, hey. And so blind Bart walks up to Jesus, and Jesus goes, what do you want me to do for you? And he goes, sir, I would like to see. I would like to receive my sight. And Jesus says what? Your faith has made you well. Faith means that you trust Jesus. You actually believe who he says he is, and if we believe Jesus, if we trust him, we will do what he says. And in so doing, when we do what he says, we are demonstrating our love for him. John fourteen fifteen says this, if you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you're gonna keep my commandments. When I was a high school pastor many years ago, um, I would work with students and, and oftentimes when this would happen, it would be the students that had grown up in church and they were at, they were the youth group kids. You know what I'm talking about when I say the youth group kids, the kids that are at everything. You could throw a terrible event but they would still be there. And they would come to me and they would go, hey Dave, we wanna go deeper in our faith. And I'm like, that's awesome. I'm like, what do you mean by deeper? Like, like, let's talk about that, what do you mean? What do you mean you wanna go deeper? Oh, we, you wanna know what it always turned out to be, apologetics. Now, apologetics is a rationale of defending the faith. It's, it's learning what it means, the arguments to defend your faith, the basis for your faith. And is apologetics vitally important? Absolutely, 100%, we need to have the knowledge of God, his word, in order, that's a foundation for faith. But I would look at these students, and they were we want apologetics, and I would ask them a question. Okay, that's awesome, and yes, we can do some things with that. But here's my question, are you already doing the things that God has made clear? And they would be like, well, what do you mean? i go, are you being obedient to your parents? And they're like, well, pretty much hey, are you loving your brother and sister? Are you doing the things, the very things that God has already commanded, the things that God has already made abundantly clear? Are you doing those things? Because I'm afraid what you wanna do is gain a bunch of knowledge to win an argument void of love. And the problem is, if you win an argument void of love, you didn't win the person, you won an argument. And the goal is always people. People. And so what they would do is they'd go and they're like, okay, and we would do things of that, but here's the thing. If we are to be lovers of God, lovers of Jesus, it means that we will be obedient to the things that he tells us to do. And if we're to be obedient to the things that he tells us to do, then we need to be a word-dependent people who are empowered by the Spirit. We have to know the word. Because I'm gonna say something that it might be a little bit weird and sound weird. You don't need to pray about the things that God has already made clear. You don't need to pray about that. Hey, should I love my neighbor as myself? I really don't like my neighbor. Do I have to be, do I have to love him? You don't have to pray about that because the answer is gonna be yes. You need to. Hey, I'm unhappy in my marriage. Should I leave my spouse because I'm just unhappy? They don't make me happy anymore. The emotions of love has gone away. Should I? Should I walk out? There's no infidelity. There's nothing. We're just we're just become great roommates. Should I walk out on them? I, no. No, we shouldn't. Why? Because the things that God has already made clear, He's going be obedient to those things. We have to be people of His Word. So if we are to love God, it means that we'll actually do what he says, and if to actually do what he says, we actually need to know what he said. The second thing is this, we we live out love by loving others sacrificially. Jesus ties directly what we talked about last week. If If you don't remember what we talked about last week, I'd encourage you, go watch it. We talked about serving others means what? Dying to yourself. In order to serve, it means you die. It means you die to yourself. And Jesus equates loving others to saying, hey, it's gonna cost you something to love other people. And once again, this flies in the face of the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of this world says, look out after number one. Because if you don't look out after number one, nobody else will. And I begin to buy into that worldly mindset, that that kingdom of the world mindset, where I begin to think that if I begin to love other people, where it costs me something to love other people, where I have to lay down my own life, my own desires, my own wants for for you all, then this is what I buy into. If I begin to do that, who's actually going to take care of me? Because I begin to buy into a false notion that there's only so much love to go around, and if I give out love, then I'll just be empty and I won't have enough, and God's sitting there reminding me, going, that's a messed up view. It goes back to that very beginning. I have a messed up view of God. God's going, I am love and I'm a source of infinite love. I don't, I'm not cheap and skimpy with my love. I lavishly give it, and here's the reality. When we, as a body of Christ, sacrificially love other people, and we give ourselves to love each other, guess what happens? When I do that for you, and you do that for your neighbor, and your neighbor does that for another neighbor, and that neighbor does that for me, guess what happens? We live in a community where sacrificial love in the kingdom of God is normal, and everyone is met, their needs are met. They are giving and receiving love. Sacrificial love in the kingdom of God is normal, but it's not natural. It's normal, but it's not natural. It starts clunky. It starts with maybe even asking a question, and we're gonna ask this question at the end of service today. God, how do I love them? How do I love my spouse better? I mean, don't you wish, if you're married, don't you just wish that it was more natural to love your spouse? Don't you wish that? Don't elbow your spouse. Don't be like, yeah, (laughs) pay attention. Don't do that. But don't you wish it was more natural? Because I have to fight, everything is selfish inside of me. I want to do what's good and right for me. And God's going, love sacrificially for your wife, for your kids, for your family. And that's not natural for me. You see, what I'm grateful for is that the Bible does give us a little bit, a little bit more of a grasp, more handles on how do we love each other well? And Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses four through seven. Now, I wanna just stop right here. This this passage that we're gonna read is very familiar. You've heard it at 96% of the weddings you've been to. And so the problem is, is that we equate this passage to a wedding passage. Now, if you did this at your wedding, I did this at my wedding, okay? So it's not like, oh, you're a terrible person. But the problem is, we've equated this to a wedding passage. It's not a wedding passage. Is it applicable to marriage? absolutely but is it a wedding passage? No, it's a living life in the kingdom of God passage. And this is what it says. Paul writes, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Can, can, I just, can I just tell you something? I read that, and sometimes I get really discouraged. You want to know why? I can't do that. I can't do that. Apart from the Spirit of God living in me, I can't do that. Because this is what I'll do. It would be easy for you to sit in this message and go, oh, I just gotta try harder. Love is patient. All right, I'm gonna be patient today. I'm gonna put on patience. And then you pull out on Kingston Pike and somebody cuts you off and guess what happens to your patience? It's gone. It's gone. And then we go, oh, I just messed up again. This is impossible apart from the Spirit of God working in you. It's impossible that that God is working within you, developing the fruit of the Spirit, teaching you what it means to love. And so the goal isn't today for you to walk out and go, now I'm I'm patient and kind, I no longer envy, I'm free of all those, I've reached nirvana. No, that's not the goal. You wanna know the goal? is I wanna participate with what the Spirit's doing in my heart, and I wanna take the next step. God, I wanna become just a little bit more patient today. God, I need you to be able to do that work in me. Can I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a little bit of a left turn here for a minute, and I wanna to talk to, so I'm gonna look at the camera, I'm gonna look at you here. Um, if you're single in this room, can I talk to you for a minute? Because I think this passage actually tells us, and I'm not just talking like, hey, if you're like in high school, this goes, if you're in high school, if you're younger than that, maybe you're an adult and you're single, and maybe you're in a relationship. It's a fascinating study to compare what Paul writes here with what the world teaches us about love. Because the problem is, the world's view of love is actually oftentimes looks like lust. And so when you compare that, and so when you look, and maybe you can look at the relationship that you're currently in, or maybe you'll be in one day. Paul writes, Love is patient. Life in the kingdom, love is actually patient. Can I tell you something? Lust is immediate. So if you have someone maybe you're in a dating relationship with, and they're sitting there going, if you love me, you'll let me go further. You'll let me go further sexually than maybe you wanna go. Can I just tell you something that runs contrary to what God says in the scriptures? So if they bear the name of Christ and they're demanding something more of you, that's not love, that's lust. Why? Because love is actually patient. Love will wait. Lust wants something now. Love is kind. Lust is selfish. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy. If you want jealousy in your relationship, then let lust reign. But if you want love in your relationship, guess what? Love is not envious, it does not boast. Can I tell you something? I've been in boys' locker rooms. Lust boasts. So friends, can I just tell you, if you're in a relationship, if you're in a dating relationship and you begin to look and compare your relationship of going, oh, wait a sec, my significant other is demanding things from me and wanting to push things from me, that's not love, that's lust. Can I just tell you, get out. Get out, it's not worth your time. Why? Because God has something better. God has something better. Why, because there's men and women out there who are following hard after Jesus, who want to love in this kind of way, a kingdom kind of love. So can I just tell you, wait, get out of that relationship. Sorry, that's a side note. That's like left field, but it's one of those things that as I was reading this passage, I'm like, man, our world's got such a messed up view of love. And our young people are buying into it, no more. We love God by being obedient to him. We love each other sacrificially. Finally, we live out love by our perseverance. We live out love by our perseverance. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, verse eight, he says this, love never ends. And what we're gonna see in the Mark chapter 12 and Mark chapter 13, Jesus begins to discuss things of the end times, things of when he's going to return, and he starts talking, and then what he does, he's, he's going to show his disciples that love perseveres, and he gives them this admonition. In, in Mark chapter 13, starting in verse 32, he says this, He's talking about the end times, when's the coming of the Son of Man, all these things. And he says this, but concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And then he says this, be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake, therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Did you get the theme of what he wants us to do in that passage? Stay awake. Stay awake. You know what's fascinating? You get to Mark chapter 14 where Jesus is demonstrating that love perseveres. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He brings Peter, James, and John. He goes, hey, stay awake, wait here, keep praying, keep on guard, and you know what they do? They fall asleep. <laughs> they didn't pay attention. But can I say, I started thinking about that. I'm like, what is stay awake, stay awake, stay awake? Stay awake. And Jesus is basically concerning. Hey, don't get caught up in all the, all the hubbub of when is Jesus coming back and when are these stones, when are the end times coming. Uh, don't get caught up in all of that. Stay awake, be ready. What is he saying stay awake to? The very thing I just commanded you, stay awake to love. Stay awake to loving me, being obedient to me, and stay awake to loving each other. Because guess what? You can't love God if you don't love each other. And he's saying, stay awake to those things. Why? Because then when the Son of Man, when Jesus comes back, and we are living a life of love in the kingdom of God here on earth, and we're loving God by being obedient to him, and we're loving each other, and we're persevering in that, guess what? When he comes back, we'll be doing the very things he wants us to be doing. We won't have to do the bumper sticker, Jesus theology, look busy, Jesus is coming. We will actually be doing the very things that he asks us to do. So persevere in it, why? Because Jesus modeled it for us. He showed us the full extent of his love by going to a cross and giving his life. So we persevere in the kingdom. Love in the kingdom perseveres. It keeps going when times are hard. It keeps going when you're just unhappy in your marriage. It keeps going when your kids are driving you up the wall and you wanna pull that old line, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. When you're at that point in your parenting, love keeps going, why? Because it's in that moment that we have to rely on our anchor, Jesus Christ, who has sacrificially loved us. So what do we do? How do we live this out this week? The first thing is this. If you have your bulletin, I just wanna remind us on the inside of the bulletin, Monday through Friday, there is a live it out section. If we are to be obedient to what God tells us to do because there are things in his word that he makes extremely clear of what we are to do, We have to put ourselves in the way of God by being intentionally in his word, paying attention to what he teaches. And the live it out section is a way for us to be intentional of putting ourselves in the way of God so that we can learn what he says so that we can be obedient, demonstrating our love for him. So what does that mean? Do it this week, do it, read these passages. There's a lot of incredible stories in there demonstrating love. The second thing we're gonna do is that we're gonna practice and we're gonna start this morning. Because here at Two Rivers, we are a word dependent people and we're spirit empowered. We believe that God has spoken through his word and we believe that God is still speaking by the power of the spirit that resides within us. And so we love to ask God questions. And so here's what we're gonna do is that we're gonna ask Jesus to bring to mind three names of people in your world that you interact with regularly. It, it could be your spouse. Could be one of your kids. It might be your coworker. It might be your neighbor. You know that neighbor that's really hard to love. Ask God, God, would you bring to mind three names of people that are in my world? And here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Write those names down because the next thing we're gonna do, it's right there in your outline, is we're gonna ask Jesus, Jesus, how do I love, and fill in the blank of one of the names that you just wrote down, how do I love that person today? How do I love that person today? And what you're gonna do is you're gonna begin to pray that this week for each of those names that God has given you. And once again, I just wanna reiterate something. This is not like a moralistic thing. Oh, I'm just gonna try harder to love Randy in my world today. No, this is something where the Spirit of God has given you a name, and you are gonna ask the Spirit this question. How do I love them today? And we're gonna trust that Jesus is gonna provide the way in which he's gonna show you how to love them. This is not something you just put on, try harder, be better. No, we're gonna be completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit as we engage with him of going, Jesus, I wanna be more fluent in the good news of the gospel and it's clunky, so I'm gonna begin to ask questions. Why? Because I wanna get better. I wanna be a better lover. So here's what we're gonna do in this moment. We're gonna ask God, God, what are three names of people in my world and how do I love them? So Father, We ask that in this time, as we pause just for a minute in our service this morning, that you would speak, that you would give us the names of three people, and Spirit, would you show us how that we can tangibly live out love to them.